Glad you to be here this morning. Let's continue with our lesson. As you know, we have been looking at the various I am statements that Jesus makes that John records for us under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's purpose, I believe, in this is that in this particular gospel account, especially, we would be seeing in a clearer way who this man is, this carpenter from Nazareth. The other gospels certainly display him, but in the gospel of John, we are given a glimpse of who he himself is, who he has been before the foundation of the world, and who he will always be. And we are given a glimpse as to the purpose of his appearing. And so when he says, I am without a predicate, remember, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. When he says, I am, he is connecting himself with the God of Israel because he's using the same verbiage that the Lord himself uses in the Old Testament to refer to himself. So in Isaiah 44 and 45, when the Lord says, I am the Lord, he uses, remember, the Hebrew, Anihu. That's the Hebrew, I am. That Anihu is translated into the Greek in the Septuagint, which is the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, okay? And when the Anihu that the Lord says about himself, I am the Lord, when that's translated into the Greek in the Septuagint, it's ego eimi. Remember, we've talked about that. And so here we have now this man who is using the same vocabulary, referring to himself and to who he is with the same verb, I am. And this is an immediate connection between this one who is speaking to us as the man Jesus is saying, I am the incarnation the revelation of the Old Testament God of Israel. I am that God who is speaking to you. And so you remember then we looked at the seven I am sayings in John that end with a predicate. So what are they? I am the bread of life. I am the hmm, life, right? I am the door. <laughs> I am the shepherd. That's, these are illustrations. 
I am the shepherd. I am the hmm, way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And this morning we're taking the last one. These several mornings we're taking the last one. I am the true vine. Now when we get to this one, I am the true vine. What I believe what I understand here when I look at that, what I hope the Holy Spirit tells me is that in this last one is a compilation, is a gathering together of all the others to say about himself that not only is he the bread and the light, the door, etc. But that in him himself, using this analogy of the vine and the branches, in this one, we are given the visible reality of not only who God is in himself, but how God saves us and brings us to know about himself. And as we move along, and I think we'll be moving along okay this week and next week, the Lord is showing us something about himself that is absolutely unique among all the theologies of the nations. You know how you teach or rather read uh, what is it called comparative religion in class how many some of you have studied comparative religions and there are similarities but none of them none of them gives us a revelation of God that we see in this man and so this morning let's look at some of this as we move along We've seen that Jesus uses the analogy, I am the true vine and you are the branches. Remember that my father is the vine dresser. He uses this analogy of the vine and its branches to explain how God restores us to our original purpose as his branches. Now, I want you to hear just how I said that. We're not saying God has sent the true vine into the world. Listen to me carefully. We are not saying, the Bible does not say, that God has sent the true vine into the world. That the Son of God himself will become this living vine. Remember the Lord has said in Isaiah 5, 5, that his people are his vineyard. Remember that? The whole house of Israel is my vine. God did not send his Son into the world so that at the cross... He would pay for our sin. He would condemn sin in the flesh in his death. He would rise again to bring the reality of that salvation to us. He did not come into the world to make us his branches. Well, I thought that's why he came into the world. He didn't do that, Jody. That's not why he came into the world, to make us his branches. He came into the world 
to do what was necessary to restore in us who have been in the heart and mind and purpose of God the branches to bring that reality, that eternal reality, that we are the branches of the Lord Jesus before the foundation of the world, not in a physical sense because we had not been created yet, but in a spiritual sense, in the mind of God, in the purpose of God. We were, before the foundation of the world, we were the branches of the true vine. Do we have that? Do we understand that? Does everybody see that? So, Jesus comes into the world as the true vine, not to make us his branches, but to restore or guarantee or to make happen whatever kinds of terms you want. Make happen God's original purpose that we should be his branches. He brings it to pass. Do we get that? So we don't become, yes, Sorry? Yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes. And what is the means of God in us to cause us to be embracing our branchness? So those who believe... In believing and having faith in Jesus, we are not becoming the branches. We are embracing our eternal status, I suppose, as the branches. Do we see that? Our faith in Jesus is not our way of now becoming the branches. It is God's means in us to reveal in us by the Spirit... You're my branches. He gives us a new heart. Remember that? He gives us new affections. He opens our eyes to our need. Our need to receive the reality of this divine vine so that we are restored as God's branches. We are embracing our, I'm going to say it this way. I don't know, Mike, whether this is a word. We are, restore, we, we are embracing our branchhood. Is that okay to say that? Our branchhood. That's what we're doing. And I, I, I am so concerned that we see this. Because it has to do with God's sovereign purpose. It has to do with our security in Christ. It has to do with our stability it has to do with our ability to continue to walk in newness of life even when we are committing the same sin that we just committed five minutes ago. Understand? We have been God's, sorry, the branches of the true vine before the foundation of the world. This was God's purpose. And Jesus is using this analogy that we see in John 15 to demonstrate this is who we have been. And he demonstrates how this works. Is that clear? I, don't, I suppose we'll go a little further this morning. But is that clear to everyone? I just need to make sure. Do we understand that? 
We're not saved in order to become the branches. We're saved as God's means of us embracing our eternal branchhood within the context and in obedience to and in fulfillment of God's eternal purpose for us. Do we see that? Okay, fine. So let's look at this analogy that Jesus gives us in John 15, and let's just read it together. And notice when we go through here, and I'm not sure in your notes whether it is, let me, let me look at your notes a second, Daniel. Excuse me, I didn't mean to wake you up. Okay, it is in the notes. You can kind of see it a little bit. When we read through this, I want you to look at the word I-N, I-N. This is not in your notes. The I-N in the English is a translation of the Greek E-N. You may write that in your margin if you like. The I-N that you see in the English here is a translation of the N, which is E-N in the Greek. In this particular passage, this is a preposition, remember. Remember those prepositions that you studied in English? I told you to study them. I told you to understand what they were. Prepositions are some of the most important words in the entire English language. And this little preposition in the Greek used in this particular passage is in what we call the locative case. Locative means location. It means location. So when you see the word in in this particular passage, for instance, in Romans 5, I think it's either 10 or 12. I'll get, sometimes I get my verses confused. We are saved by his life. It's word en, so we could be saved by his life, by the instrumentality of his life. But we are also saved in his life. Do we see it? It can be both. So let's look at this. It's location. I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in the location of being in me. Now, look, notice this. Every branch in me. He's not speaking about something that may happen. What does that mean, every branch in me? That means what? At this moment, when Jesus is talking to these disciples, before he goes to the cross, He's talking about branches that are in him. You're not going to be in him after the cross. You are in him now. And the cross is going to bring about our ability to embrace that branchhood. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Remember John 13, you're clean by the washing of the word. Abide what? In me and I in you. I forgot that one. Okay. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Are we beginning to see that our life in Christ is 100% concerned with being in Jesus? Our ability to walk with him has to do with our being in him. Everything is because of our location. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, if you're not in me, you ain't doing nothing spiritual. You can't do any of this in me. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. 
if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, and so be so proved to be my disciples. Now look, so notice how often the word I in is used. Jesus is saying when he says this, when we read this passage, we need to see it much more than just an illustration of being connected, Connor, and I'm to abide in Jesus. And if I abide in him, I'm going to be obedient. And then this, he's going to do this or whatever. It's much b- bigger than that. That's the secondary. In this way, Jesus is using this unique and amazing language. He's using the unique and amazing language of mutual indwelling. I want you to see that. I want you to underline that to describe how we are restored as his branches. He uses the illustration of the word EN to describe how this happens. How have we been saved? We have been saved because we have, we are in mutual, we in mutual indwelling with Jesus. We have been saved because he is in us and we are in him. This is a statement of mutual indwelling. I dwell in him. He dwells in me. Now, this is one of the things that I think we as believers don't emphasize enough. Don't think it's emphasized enough. I think what happens is typically we are so prone because of the way we are made naturally that most of our attention in the Christian religion is given to obedience and what you do and what you shouldn't do and how you do it. Do we see that? Most of the emphasis is that. Where the emphasis should be in how and why and for what purpose we do and we don't do. Because knowing that foundation, drawing from the well of that foundation will begin to cause us to understand the doings and the not doings and will give us the ability by the Holy Spirit to be doing it this way. So this is mutual indwelling language. And I have it there. How many verses he says that? As the vine exists, as the vine exists for its branches, why did Jesus come? He came to glorify God in us, the branches, whom God had determined beforehand that his glory would be manifested in us who are in Christ. Do we see that? So he came, the vine came, exists, sorry, it exists for the branches and the branches exist because of their union with the vine so that it can be said, how many plants are we talking about? One plant. Now, do you notice this? The vine and the branches are distinct parts of the plant. Do we see that? So it isn't that the vine becomes the branch and the branch becomes the vine. Do we see that? Very important. The vine and the branches are in such unity. The branches receiving their sustenance and their life and everything about them as far as producing grape and whatever else, that this plant is one plant, but it consists of a vine and it consists of a branch. And as it were, the branch and the vine mutually 
indwell one another. I think it's very important for us to see our relationship with God in this way. We're not just Jesus and me. He's next to me. He's kind of with me and whatever else, and I'm kind of with him. He indwells us. This Son of God lives in us by the Holy Spirit. Do we see that? We forget that, don't we? And we live in him. He retains his distinctiveness as the exalted man. And we retain our distinctiveness as people. And yet we mutually indwell one another. Now, how can that be? Can anybody explain exactly how that can be? See, this is a mystery. And because of this union, the branches partake of the very life of the vine. And this is the, this is the, uh, the, the primary purpose of the incarnation. That God is glorified as we are in the vine, his son. And the result and the proof of being in the vine is the fruit so that the fruit of the vine is produced in the branches so that the branches will begin to what? Produce, what do they produce? Fruit. Do we see that? Now, this is the purpose of the incarnation. Do you remember the question that Jesus answers in John fourteen eight? Remember what Jesus is going away. I am the way, the truth. I'm going away. And Philip says, well, look, before you go, what? Could you show us the Father? Could you manifest the Father to us? And what does Jesus say? In verse what? Nine. Have I been with you this long, Philip? And you're going to ask, show us the Father. So what is his statement? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So that's what this means. It's a statement, again, of mutual indwelling. The Father is seen in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in him. The incarnation is the visible reality or demonstration, manifestation of this indwelling where God himself joins himself relationally to his people so that he and his people become one in relationship. They become one because they mutually indwell one another. Can you imagine we live in God? God lives in us. This means that the Father is glorified in the humanity of the Son. Why? Because the Son, as to his humanity, is in the Father. And the Father is in the humanity of the Son. Look at some of these other uh, statements, and I won't read all of them. Jesus says in John ten thirty eight, Believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. He says, I am in the Father again. The Father is in me. Over and over again, he says this. On that day, you will recognize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And so this is a term of mutual indwelling. What Jesus is doing in John 15 <clears throat> is giving us a glimpse, a little snapshot 
of the inner life of God. I want us to see that. This is bigger than just talking about how I'm saved. In the incarnation, Jesus is demonstrating the inner life of God. Do we see that? Who he is in himself. Then in bringing us, causing us to be in this, revealing to us that we are in him also, this is in our salvation another demonstration of the inner life of God. That's what all this is about. So all of it actually points to the very person of God himself. Now, if you look at the last sentence here, this term, this mutual indwelling, this term for mutual indwelling is called Trinitarian parakoresis. Okay, there it is, parakoresis. Now, you say, why do we need to know that and what is the purpose? What I hope to do, and then all I can say is hope to do, like everything else, it has to be by the Spirit. Whatever is said in this room or in sermons has to be vivified, made alive in us by the Spirit. So what I'm hoping is that the Holy Spirit will give me some words for you, for me. And we'll use those words next week, especially, to communicate this most amazing and mysterious truth about God. This most amazing and mysterious truth about God. So we're going to talk about perichoresis next week, okay? So just bring your Greek dictionary and we'll be fine. Now, what I want to do at this point in the class is to stop and all of us know that Nick and Angel Evangeline let me get back here where they are what who yeah but I'm not here yet oh, oh okay no I got it I got it. Nick and Evangeline, uh, what's your name again? Angel. Evangeline, Atticus, and Emmett. Today's their last Sunday. So I wanted to give us a few minutes, and I won't let us go over time. We'll, we'll watch that. For any of you who may want to very quickly, tersely, in a short moment, tell us or tell them, how they have ministered to them. Would anyone like to say anything to them before they go today? Anybody would like to say, Michael? Yeah, so uh, my family and I are fairly new to the church. Nick, a couple of years ago, started um, POPs, which is, what is, I forgot what it stood for, but it was, kind of, that's, that's it, yeah, yeah. So POPs, which is like, you know, the, the, the flip side of, of, of mops. And uh, that ministry was super helpful to me and I think many other men that, that were involved in that. And it was, it was just getting together. The idea was men who, who have uh, children still in the home would get together and kind of talk about what that means. And it was just a – it was usually fairly simple uh, message that we would talk through. And it was just very, very helpful for me and a few other guys as well, I'm pretty sure. And uh, so I just wanted to – 
publicly just say to Nick, thank you for doing that and that ministry and uh, just for your faithfulness in doing that. So thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> This is, what's your name again? This is Tiffany. Well, first I want to thank Nick for um, just being a lover of God's word and for sharing that with us. Um, I know that his work schedule has been crazy and so many times when he would share with us, I just know that that was a sacrifice and um just appreciate your heart to uh, to dig in, to um, just share truths with us. Your, your passion for the Lord has been um, amazing to be a part of and watch. And, Angel, I just have appreciated the times where we've been able to walk together and your transparency and your realness at, at, at table gatherings that has just um, broken down barriers with women that you were willing to share your weaknesses and, and where the Lord met you. And I just watched the Lord mightily use you in many of those situations. And so I know that you guys will be a blessing to the next place you go. And you got to come visit. Thank you. <clears throat> this is Darlene. Well, not everybody knows you. Nick, um, we've been knowing you as, as a young boy from about, what, the age of five or six when you started coming to church. And um, your dad would bring you and your sister here, and um, we embraced you as one of our sons in the family, and you became real good friends with our son. And over the years, you know, I've just watched you grow into a mature young man. You picked out wife with godly um, attributes and you've raised your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's just been wonderful to see how you have embraced this church family, how the church family has embraced you, how um, you've just, how the church has been such an influence in your life. As far as I know, you have always, you know, embraced the body of Christ, and it has matured you into a godly man that you are today. So that's just a testimony of your life and how you individually have embraced the Lord, but how the church family has embraced you as well and how you have embraced the, the church family. So I appreciate that. And I'll never forget the time you and I led the... Um, <laughs> The play in Vacation Bible School. Do you remember that? When you, <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> Nick was about, I don't know, 13, 14 years old. And um, we worked together, ministered together in the VBS. And it was a pleasure working with you. So just want to give God glory for that. Amen. <clears throat> Can everybody hear? If you can't hear what is being said, raise your hand and Bob back there will raise the volume, but you won't have trouble on this one. Gives me opportunities to practice forgiveness. Uh, Nick, I want to tell you that I have been so blessed. 
I don't know you terribly well, but I did sit under your teaching of the word. And I'm going to tell you, I, I was so blessed and blown away by that. And I want to thank, because I know that took a lot of work. Like Tiffany said, that's sacrificial. And um, <clears throat> it was just amazing. And I thank you for the truths that you imparted to me through your teaching. But I also have recently gotten to know Angel. I did not know her very well either at a Bible study on Monday nights. She is. She is. And what strikes me about Angel is the absolute humility that she approaches the Word of God with and life. Uh, Just the little bit that I have gotten to hear that she has said... Uh, she approaches life fully trust in God in total humility, and and I am really challenged by that. So thank you. Now we don't want any sermons here. Here we have a frustrated preacher. Well, in my case, it'll be fighting back the tears. You know, just like Miss Anna. I've known him since he was like that. Royal Rangers, all sorts of things. I've known him as a teenager when they would come into Steve and Linda's house. And for some reason, these kids thought they could go in and all of them could jump on him. Well, all I saw was boys flying over couches and everything else. You know, it was always interesting because <laughs> here the war begins <laughs> in a good way. But, you know, it's, I feel like I'm losing one of my own. You know, I, I thank the world of him, his family. And um, I know there'll be a blessing where they go. I won't go into any details, but Angel was, our daughter had a very difficult delivery. And baby wasn't breathing, if I can tell. We didn't know. We thought everything was fine because we couldn't go. And God knew that he needed, Megan needed an angel in that room that night. When we found out what what had taken place. And there will always be such a special place in my heart. I may not see you often to know that God placed you there and your love and your kindness just holding holding her hand, being there with her was so special. And what it meant to her and once we found it out, what it meant to us. We love you. We love your family. And, you know, I... I hate to see you go, but you're just leaving. You're coming back. You know, you, know, you can't stay away. Exactly. Amen. Some of you don't know how much of a sacrifice it was for Nick to teach this class we're not leaving Todd out, but this is about Nick today, and Todd understands that. <laughs> Todd, when you go, we'll do this for you. <laughs> and it was a huge sacrifice. But as, as I said one time before, so often, and we're right, think about the sacrifice, Nick. But we forget about the sacrifice that Angel made in seeing her husband very busy in so many areas. 
spend hours on preparing for school of the word when they didn't have that many hours. They didn't have any loose hours in their day. How many of you know this lady? This is Cretia. I was, this is so hard because how do you put into words a family? Okay, I can't look at you while I do So a family that doesn't wait for life to be easy, for them to, to lay themselves down for the body. We first met them when we were literally driving a van into town. And Nick, of course, reached out to Ryan because that's what they do. They welcome new people. And he's like, well, come to our house. We're like, wait, we don't even, we're just pulling into town. We don't even have our moving trucks yet. Nor did they have food. Like, they're just like, well, we'll go to the store. We'll make something. And so they invited a family with five kids who had just gotten out of a van from Texas to just run rampant in their backyard and house and chaos. And, but they didn't wait for it to be easy. They just said, well, no, we're not prepared, but y'all come in. And the first crowd, and they joined our first small group that we led and were such a gift to us. And I got to watch them love other people sacrificially the way they lay themselves down for people suffering in hard ways who were in court and in the foster system and in this family serves with excellence and they don't wait for life to be easy or convenient for them to lay their lives down for the church and everything they do is tier 10 excellence their whole Thank heart you. they don't do anything halfway we're gonna miss y'all we love i'm gonna y'all. ask todd and amanda to come over and lay hands on nick and angel I'm going to ask Todd to pray and Amanda to pray. And the rest of us, we can be in prayer. If you feel you want to also join them at the table over here, please do so. So Todd's going to close us in prayer. But I just want to say one thing. The Holy Spirit gave gifts to the church. This man and this woman are gifts to this church. Now the Holy Spirit is using them and taking them to be a gift to another church. Nick, Angel, Angel, I appreciate y'all so much. So much. So much. Got it? Todd.